I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm super, super thrilled to have my next guest here. Uh, Chris Boss is the founder and CEO of the Black Swan Group. Uh, but he's also the author of an incredible, incredible book that you must, must, must get your hands on if you have not heard of it yet or haven't read it. It's called Never Split the Difference. And I'm just so excited to have him here to uh, ask him so many questions, but also just to get his expert thoughts on all things negotiation. Chris is an expert in the art of negotiation in business and in life. Uh, He is not just a teacher and an author, but he also spent 24 years, a 24-year tenure in the FBI. He was trained in the art of negotiation by not only the FBI, but also Scotland Yard and Harvard Law School. He has used his many years of experience in international crisis and high-stakes negotiations to develop a unique program and team that applies these globally proven techniques to the business world. And now he runs a top consulting company called Black Swan and teaches negotiation to graduate students at universities, including Harvard, Georgetown. We were just talking about USC as well. So just absolutely incredible. Um, So many stories and lessons. Uh, We probably won't have time to pick his brain on all of them, but definitely uh, you need to be listening to this podcast because I'm sure you're going to get lots of lessons and tips along the way from Chris. So welcome. Thank you, Kara. Pleasure to be here. Super excited. So so if you had to describe what you do today when people call you and say, hey, Chris, can I get, can I get a couple minutes of your time? What, what do people call you for? Well, usually uh, they, they, the friction in their deals, the friction in their interactions, they want to figure out, you know, what can they say positively to be able to overcome the friction. And, and the real key, actually, which is very counterintuitive, is you get farther, faster by reducing the friction as opposed to adding lubrication, adding, ading positivity. So they got, they got some sort of a deal they're struggling with or they, they get an innate feeling that they're leaving money on the table. Or the people that we really love are people that just dedicated to learning, uh, and they like innovative, fun stuff, uh, ambitious people. Somebody told me recently that if you're truly ambitious, um, you like innovative stuff. You like to do stuff in an interesting and innovative way, and you like to learn. And so if they're ambitious, they, they reach out to us as soon as they find out about us. So interesting. So in your early life, did you think that you would uh, eventually become a hostage negotiator or get into terrorist negotiation? No, no, no. Completely fell out of the sky. You know, I was in in law enforcement, a police department, then the FBI. I was actually on a SWAT team in the FBI. And uh, we had hostage negotiators, and I kept tearing up my right knee. And so I decided, well, you know, before I'm a cripple, then let me uh, let me not tear up my knee as much. Let me let me do negotiations. How hard can it be? Like my son and I have always liked to joke that's the unofficial Voss family motto. How hard can it be? Which is the redneck equivalent to a redneck's last words are, "Hey, watch this." Very very interesting. So, did you come from a family of police officers? No, no, not not at all. I mean, my father served a brief stint in Marines in his younger days. Uh, my uncle was in the Army in a criminal investigative division, but not really a, a family history of law enforcement. What the family history was really is entrepreneurism, independence, maverick. And that was very much in my blood. And 
very much the way that I approached my career in law enforcement and in hostage negotiation. So interesting. So I've heard you say that talking to people always really fascinated you, that you could uh, pick up words that they were saying that kind of gave you clues as to who they were or maybe even what type of uh, negotiator they ultimately would be. Would you can you give me an example of where you first noticed this? Um, I think I first noticed like the power of influence through words in my early days as a police officer. Um, I, uh, I, you know, it's typical young cop and you come out of the academy tactically trained and you're enthusiastic and a little uh, driven by adrenaline. You want to lock people up and there are a couple of, some of the detectives got rotated out of the de- detective unit. I ended up in a car in uniform next to the detective and he knew how to talk to people in really interesting ways with different tones of voice in a way that wasn't combative and really got stuff done. And I remember thinking like, ooh, ooh, now this is interesting. This is more powerful and more influential than me being commanding ever was. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell, or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. 
I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is Super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. So I remember just being sat at, uh, fascinated and impressed at how influential he was at being soft-spoken as a police officer. And I, that's when I really, really got fascinated by it. You touched on this at the beginning of the, of the conversation, but how uh, being I don't know exactly what you called it, but being sort of unemotional, I guess, and and being nicer, you know, kind of helps you to be able to negotiate with somebody. Um, so is that really what you saw? Well, yeah, you know, and, and you bring up sort of a really subtle point that stared everybody in the face, but uh, but isn't blatantly obvious. And you talked about being unemotional. When, when, when we talk about people being emotional, most of the time we're talking about negative emotions. Like if I were to say to you, you're being a little emotional here, it wouldn't be a compliment. Um, and it would be that your anger was getting in your way, your frustration, anxiety, concerns, usually negative emotions. Now, the negative emotions actually make you dumber. And positive emotions actually make you smart. Being nice keeps people in a positive mind frame. You know, being commanding, which a lot of police officers are taught to do, is actually puts the other person, it makes him feel threatened. And depending upon how they respond to threats, uh -huh. it could inadvertently escalate. But I, you know, I never really cared. All I wanted to know was what was effective. Like if me shouting at you and issuing commands to you is going to help me do my job and help save your life, I'll do that. But if me being soft-spoken with you and using different soft inflections or upward inflections helps me have more influence with you, then I'll do that. I'm really mostly interested in what's effective. And tone of voice ends up being ridiculously effective, which I never imagined until I saw somebody do it. I'm going to throw a few things out that I got through uh, your book, but also some of the other interviews I'm so curious about. So what is the most important thing to remember when you're negotiating uh, with somebody who is holding somebody hostage, whether it's uh, in a it, it, I guess, is that in a business situation versus a life or death situation, are those similar? Well, yeah. I mean, human nature doesn't change based on circumstances. I mean, human beings just still react to the same basic things, the same basic way. The circumstances changes, but how we're wired as human beings doesn't change. So what's particularly effective in a hostage situation is also when somebody's life is on the line is also going to be effective when they think their livelihood is on the line. Uh -huh. It's still the same basic pressures, still the same basic ways that they see things and weigh things out. Now, now the avenue to the, the path to success in either case is making the other side feel heard. Um, uh, paraphrasing, repeating, summarizing. Because as they feel heard, the more they all talk, and negotiation has been described as the art of letting the other side have your way. Well, how do you, how do you get there? You get them talking. And uh -huh. you get them feeling invested in the interaction. And you get them feeling like they like to talk because you're actually listening. And if, if people are listened to, 
They love to talk. It doesn't matter who they are. It's just the people that don't like talking don't like not being listened to. Uh-huh. And listening is actually a really rare, rare skill. Like I'm, I'm talking to a business executive, really successful guy uh, in Utah just about a week and a half ago. And he says, I can sit back and watch my people negotiating with, you know, colleagues, people, uh, uh, personnel. And due to miscommunication, just watch them not get deals that they should be getting. And I said, well, so is it miscommunication or is it poor listening? Uh, And he said, no, yeah, they're not listening to each other. It's bad listening. So people attribute, you know, bad communication was I just wasn't clear enough. Or, but the fact of the matter is they weren't listening. So you got to talk in a way that's not more eloquent, but slow it down and then make sure they feel hurt. Because if there's a pretty good chance you're not listening. Did, did they actually say what you think uh, they said? I, we, I see this in new hires in my company all the time. Um, you know, you, that ain't what I heard. And I listen pretty good. So now I worry about what you hear in meetings that I'm not present for. So the miscommunication, communication breakdowns is, is not due to poor um, uh, articulation. It, it's due to poor listening. And it could be on both ends. You got you to gotta pretty much guarantee it's on both ends. Like even yeah. I, I pride myself on being a very good listener. But when I'm thinking about what I want to say, I'm not listening. I'm thinking about what I want to say. So even then, there are moments that I miss stuff. So interesting. So how do you get the other side to kind of own that then? I guess if they think like it's, you know, very one-sided and you just don't listen or uh, we've all heard those kind of dialogues that go on in any, um, you know, not just negotiation, but communication in general. Yeah, well, the the more you listen to them, the more they're going to end up listening to you. And listening is not going dead silent. Uh, listening is, all right, wait a minute. This is, this is what I think you're saying. And continuing to work to make sure that you're clear by checking in with them on what they said or what they implied or what might be hidden or what their concerns are. And the more you draw them out, then reciprocity applies to listening. listening. The more you listen to them, the second step is the more they're going to listen to you. And that's where you really want to be. In order to be heard, you got you to gotta make them feel heard first. So I loved the suggest calling out the negatives um, okay. in advance statement. So which sort of, uh, you know, rolls into what you're talking about doing an accusations audit. Um, right. Why is this one of the most powerful strategies in negotiation? Because people's heads are really cluttered by negative thoughts, concerns, defensiveness. We're wired to be that way. I mean, we're wired to be pessimistic. We wake up in survival mode. Your default mechanism, the reason why human beings still exist on this planet is because survival mindset became a way of thinking in order to survive, and survival mindset is largely negative. The optimistic caveman ate stuff they shouldn't have eaten, walked up to animals they shouldn't have walked up to. You know, they climbed a mountain they shouldn't have climbed the optimistic caveman died and has uh-huh. no descent the pessimistic caveman survived and we are the descendants of the people that get good survival mode skills which is negative so you wake up in a negative frame of mind that's still today so people are wired to be negative we got to clear their heads and how do you clear their heads uh, interestingly enough by doing no more than calling out the elephant in the room not denying the negative emotions are the elephant in the room. Don't deny them. Call them out. You know, if you're in sales, you call that out in advance. Like, I probably seem like every other smooth-talking, fast-buck, hustling salesman that you've ever run across. They're harboring that notion. And by uh-huh. calling it out is the best way to deactivate it, not, not by denying it. And we found that out from my experience, first on a suicide hotline and then as a hostage negotiator, like, hey, what if we did this in business negotiations? What would happen? And it accelerates everything, just accelerates to positive outcomes. 
So name an example of that. I'm so curious. Like, how would you how would you look at that as I mean, would you actually try and also call out what their goals are? On the other end, um, maybe this goes into open-ended questions and that whole theory as well. But I guess trying to figure out how your boss, if maybe you're you're a sales guy, you're being accused of not hitting your goals and how that actually interferes with what he, your boss, is trying to achieve. Anyway, I, I don't know how you best to frame that. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Like, uh, how quickly do you go? What are the stages? How do you pull it off? Well, Uh there's another, now that we're on the elephant analogy, there's another analogy that I really like, which is how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So to get to what your boss- We wouldn't really do that actually, but- (laughs) You know, if we were, if we were, if we were acceptable to eat elephants, you know, and it's not- (laughs) You can ride them. You can ride them. Maybe you know. You pat them. You can feed them. Uh, take good care of them. I'm definitely uh, in favor of preserving wildlife. Uh, but then, so you call out the negatives. You got to make sure you get them all called out because they, you know, they're, they're cluttering people's heads. So, example: uh, one of one of the clients that we're coaching a couple of years ago, an insurance company probably owes her family a lot of money. Her father was injured and they didn't settle and her mother was handling it and just she was just drained by the entire episode and didn't follow up. Now, many okay. cases, insurance claims, if you don't follow up in a certain period of time, it expires. They don't got to pay if you haven't followed up in time. And as it turns out, this young lady finds out about this claim not being settled with two weeks before the insurance company no longer has to settle. Two more weeks. Not only is, are they two weeks away from the deadline, but it's December. It's two weeks before Christmas. Generally speaking, getting anything done in December anywhere in the Western world is a challenge because the Western world is largely critis- Christian. And if you're not Christian, you're out celebrating the holidays anyway. So two weeks left. All the insurance companies got to do is drag their feet for two more weeks. They don't owe anything. So we coach her, what's the insurance, what are the negatives the rep from the insurance company is going to think? Not, not that are fair, not that are appropriate, not, they're not sympathetic. What are they thinking? Well, they think that uh, this family's lazy, uh, that they procrastinate, um, that they're cavalier, that uh, they really don't care. And if they waited this long, they must have lots of money anyway, which they don't. But, you know, why do you not get motivated on an insurance claim when you got uh, a lot of money? So what are all the ridiculous, insane, schizophrenic, all the possibilities on the spectrum? Not that they're fair, because empathy is, has nothing to do with fairness or reality or the truth. Uh-huh. It's the other side's perspective. So we coach this woman, a uh, uh, top coach in my company. I think they came up with a total, he told me, of 15 things that negative thoughts that the insurance company represent representative might harbor. Start of the conversation, calling them out five at a time, then resting for a few moments between each group of five to let it sink in, and then let everything sink in. Don't move forward until they've acknowledged that you've uncovered everything. The woman settled. The previous officer was $10,000 a year earlier. They settled for $25,000 three days before Christmas. Got far in excess of any previous offer from the insurance company. Got on the phone with somebody who was a decent human being, and the vast majority of the people that we deal with are decent human beings. And once all the negatives were deactivated, was fully willing to work with the family and ended up paying them $25,000. When a year earlier, the most they'd ever been offered was 10. So interesting. So it's sort of counter to, I think, what a lot of people might think, though, right? You're, you know, you're, you don't want to own anything that uh, is negative about yourself, right? I I think initially going into a a negotiation, you want to come in, you know, with big bravado and very strong. And I, I think like it's, it's probably counter to what a lot of people think. 
but it's interesting. Well, it's com- it's completely counter to what most people think, and most people have their you know their fear center, their amygdala, their fear center is whispering in their ears. Like mm-hmm. if for whatever reason you come across somebody working some magic using this approach, and it's very similar to self-effacing humor. Like if somebody can sit down and laugh with you at what an idiot they think they look like to you, suddenly so you find true. yourself bonding with this person. Uh-huh. And and you can't help but be suddenly you find yourself being collaborative and cooperative. So somewhere along the line, they saw somebody do some self-effacing humor and saw it transform in a moment. And this is effectively the you know, the same theory. Only, you know, we're not doing it in a humorous way, although that's a very effective way to lay this stuff out. To laugh with people at yourself. I mean, we love people who can laugh at themselves. So this is, you know, we see this in other areas and, you know, can we operationalize this in a business negotiation? Absolutely. I mean, why not take the same tools and techniques that we've used in other great human communication, charm, you know, and how do we use them maintaining our integrity? And it becomes very effective. I love it. So we see negotiation as a way to get results. How do you size somebody up? Uh, and get a feel for what their emotional biases are um, or what they're kind of thinking about. Well, one, you know, once uh, I, I accept that this is a great process and people are largely in survival mode, which is largely negative, that, you know, and if we're in a negotiation, there's, their guard's going to come up, they're going to worry that they're being taken advantage of, that I'm wasting their time, that I'm going to cheat them. You know, these are my emotionally educated emotional intelligence guesses going in, understand human nature, then understand the human in front of you. And I'm going to start throwing this stuff out as observations, as emotionally educated guesses. Uh And you're going to open up with me and interact with me. Now, you're most likely, when I'm hitting the mark on negatives, you're actually most likely to show no reaction at all. And that's when no reaction from the other side is a very good sign. Now, whenever I'm wrong, and this is the thing that scares people the most, if I'm wrong about a negative, it's not going to plant that negative. You'll actually correct me. So give so me an example I, of that. I, I could say, look, you probably think that we're going to rip you off. And uh-huh. you're more concerned with your time being wasted. You say, no, I don't think you're going to rip me off. I do think you're going to waste my time. Now, bang, you just corrected me. And I didn't, you know, you don't say, and, and this is the scariest part. This is actually, I learned this way back in the hostage negotiation days. The biggest negative that we were afraid of planting was suicide. Suicide uh, exists as an element in nearly every barricaded situation, every hostage taking. It's a possibility. And they taught us as hostage negotiators, like if you smell it, if you sense it, if there's anything about that, Somebody's barricaded in their house. Somebody's barricaded in a bank anywhere. If you smell it in any way, shape, or form, call it out. Ask them if they're going to commit suicide. And as uh, new to the discipline, we go like, no, 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 we can't do that because they're probably going to say, well, I wasn't, but now that you're suggesting it, I think I will. I'm going up to the roof and I'll see you on the way down. We were horrified at that thought. We thought we'd plant the need. And they said, no, 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 no. First of all, if it's there, they're going to love that you called it out because you look fearless and you're prepared to talk about something that they think you should be afraid of, that you're prepared to talk about it candidly. So you're, you look like a straight shooter. Your authenticity is immediately appreciated by the other side. And if it's not there, then they'll say, no, I'm that's stupid. I'm not doing that. Not only am I not doing that, I'm never going to do that. They'll correct you. So, you know, we, that was one of the things we learned up front in the hostage negotiation. I learned it so long ago, I take it for granted. And I forget how counterintuitive, as you said, it, appeal, it appears to everybody else who hasn't had the same experience. So you say there's three types of negotiators, and yep. I'd love to, you know, explore that a little bit with you and then figure out how to negotiate with these three types of people. Sure, yeah. I mean, and again, this is a descent from the caveman days. The only cavemen that survived were fight, flight, make friends. That's how you react to a threat. Either you fight it, you run from it, or you befriend it. And these are the ones that survived. 
You know, they, uh, they couldn't make up their mind. They got eaten too. So the optimistic and the indifferent and the uh, confused caveman, they, they all died. They don't have any answers. Fight, flight, make friends. Assertive is the fight. Flight is the analyst, highly analytical. They see a fighting conflict as highly inefficient, and it makes much more sense to avoid it entirely. And uh-huh. make friends, accommodators. The value is the relationship. The value is the positivity of the interaction, actually. They're, they're very hope-driven. And although they're about one-third of the type, you know, deals falling apart based on being driven by hope alone, that's why in so many businesses and business interactions, you hear the phrase, hope is not a strategy. Uh-huh. It's because there are a lot of hopeful people out there that think hope is a strategy, roughly a third of the planet. So assertive analyst accommodator, each one, has something they value more than the deal. And as soon as you understand that, they're much easier to deal with. The assertive, they value being heard. They can settle for a different outcome as long as they know you heard what they had to say. And they become remarkably cooperative once they feel hurt because they want to represent themselves well, which is more important than the deal. Now, the deal is important. But what's more important is that they're heard. The analysts, they want every piece of available information, very data-driven. Don't want to argue, but want the information that you have that they might not have. So they they like to think. They go dead silent a lot because they're thinking, they're analyzing. They love to give you measured responses to questions and inquiry, they just need to have enough time to think everything through. Very analytical. Love data. The accommodator want want to hope things are going to work out. Want to have a pleasant relationship in the meantime. Poor on details, but really long on having a pleasant interaction, which is a powerful uh, uh, lubricant inducement uh, facilitator of relationships and deals. And so you might ask yourself, which type is best? Well, each type has something that's essential and inadequate. It's essential to analyze the data. It's inadequate to make fully make the deal. It's essential to have a great positive relationship, and it's inadequate. Hope is not a strategy. You need implementation. The analysts come up with implementation. If it's essential, let the other side know what you want, is to be assertive. Otherwise, you're making them guess. But it's inadequate because to be assertive and what you want is often blunt force trump. So you need the accommodator's uh, ability uh, and demeanor about being nice. So then you begin to see how some people can make deals under certain circumstances. And the people that like to learn, they start to pick up the characteristics of the other types because they see that it works. So you've got an analytic sitting across the table from you that is just taking in all the info, uh, analyzing it, taking his time. How do you get him out of that space? Well, first of all, um, you let him think. You Uh give him, you you know, you you get comfortable with the silence because they're thinking and they they love that. Now, this is really hard for the accommodator, the relationship-oriented person. Because in a mistake of you know what my Harvard brothers and sisters would call projection bias, a relationship-oriented person, when they're furious, they go silent. And so they might mistake the other side's thinking for fury. And that's often leads to a downward spiral. Now, you, you want to get information out of an analyst, uh, but you, you can't get it out of them in a timely fashion by asking them a question. So how you really get an analyst talking is to say something seemingly innocuous, such as, seems like you're giving this a lot of thought. Now, that's what we would call a label, and it hits the brain in a different way than a question does. Analysts hate to be questioned. They love re- respond to labels. So I can say, what are you thinking? And the analyst would be like, oh, my God, before I answer this one, I got to think through every ramification of an answer. But if I were to say instead, seems like something's on your mind, 
they're highly likely to start talking immediately. And so the labels are a great way to get analysts to open up because they, you know, they got information they want to share. They don't want to feel interrogated and they want to know that they're being listened to. I was fascinated by this topic. Uh, You said the most powerful negotiators in business will always use plural pronouns. Oh, yeah. I was now I'm going back and I'm thinking of all of the negotiations I've been in over the years where, uh, you know, maybe somebody was using I or me a little too much. Uh, do you want to expand on this a little bit, what you've seen? Yeah, and that's another thing that's just fascinating and counterintuitive. Like, the more influential a person is over the whether or not the deal is made, the decision maker, or implemented, um, and the implementers are often more important than the decision makers because the implementers are going to tell the decision makers whether or not it's a good deal. Okay. But they don't want to get cornered at the table. They know how much influence they have. So they're going to, look, I got a board of directors. You know, I got, I got people I'm accountable to. I got all these people on my side that got to work all this out. Like, you know, I, I, I don't even, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, I had somebody who's a real hard bargaining procurement guy telling me recently, like, yeah, I like, I like to lay this out on my CEO all the time. You know, I never reject deals. I tell people, look, you got to give me something. I could sell my boss. You know, my boss never got to go for this. You know, they're laying it off on somebody that isn't there. They're making themselves seem less powerful. The only person that consciously makes himself seem less powerful is someone who's extremely influential. They don't want to either don't want to be the bad guy that says no, or they just don't want to get cornered for the yes. So the more that they lay off decision-making implementation of people that are not there, or the more that they use plural pronouns or allude to a team they have little influence over, these are savvy, savvy, smart people, and they are the most influential person on the other side. So in a hostage negotiation, uh, I saw one example of this, but I'd love to hear you share that story. So somebody's saying, you know, this is what we want as compared to this is what I want. You worry more about the people that are saying we. Well, I'm more aware. You know, it's Uh information. It's data. It tells me a lot about this person. I actually like the plural pronoun person. Because I know I'm getting a lot of good information and I know that if, you know, if I connect with this person, if I have a positive relationship of influence, the chances of this going the direction I want it to go are really high because they are, in fact, very influential on their side. And then if they're not talking with me, then I've also, it also gives me an indicator of whether or not I'm wasting my time. Um, Uh In a hostage negotiation, if we're wasting our time talking, we got to look at other options. In a business negotiation, if we're wasting our time talking, in a different way, we look at other options. We go look to make a deal with somebody else. Like, I want to know uh-huh. this early on because it's not a sin to not get the deal. It's a sin to take a long time to not get the deal. Exactly. And, and how do you find out who's behind the scenes, right? We've all run into people who you're negotiating with and... um you know, maybe they uh, have a big ego. You don't want to go around them. You know, there's somebody in the background, uh, you know, but, you know, you don't want to go to their boss, but you know that there is somebody back there that is, you know, ultimately making the decisions. I mean, what are, what's your suggestion there? Well, yeah, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on decision makers, but we really try to factor into the deal killers. Who are the deal killers? Uh-huh. Um, the people that are going to use the product, they're the deal killers. Um, and your question is, so who's going to use this? I mean, how do they feel about all this? Um, what, what are their concerns? You ask your counterpart these types of questions, your counterpart's going to have a tendency to turn around and go to them and ask them those questions. Because they're going to be worried about having a rug pulled out from under them or the, you know, the, the limbs sawed off behind them. They don't want to get isolated on a deal that's going to fall in on itself. And asking them these kind of questions actually helps them keep their team together. 
So the, the users of whatever it is, the implementers are critical. Now, there's another category that are neither users nor implementers, but are great at killing deals. And whoever you're talking to, if they have legal counsel on their staff, uh-huh. what many co- companies call going into TNC, going into terms and conditions, this is where their attorneys kill deals. They tear this stuff apart. How do you avoid that? Start asking about it in advance. How does your legal staff feel about this? What are they concerned about? You know, a lawyer who's consulted during the process is far less likely to kill the deal than a lawyer who isn't brought in until after the negotiation is over. They're going to be miffed and annoyed that they weren't involved. By definition, since they weren't involved, this has to be a bad deal. They can do everything they can do to kill it. The whole strategy here is just to get consultation going on the other side while the process is ongoing. Great advice. Uh, so I think bringing in legal counsel, if you're going to need it early on in the process, is absolutely critical because I've seen that over and over again where deals do get killed. That's exactly where it happens. So you've mentioned in other interviews, listening to the adjectives. I loved this as well. Um, so can you? Ch- talk a little bit about that Ad, adjectives or profanity or cliches and how does that affect a negotiation well that that begins to give you a little bit more of um a feeling about how, how the other person thinks you uh-huh. know what do they hold dear dear what are their values you know what are their higher purpose values how do they see themselves uh they're direct and honest they're pretty blunt i mean i'm direct and honest i'm pretty blunt so my adjectives tend to tend to be Single syllable words as a general rule with lots of consonants in them. <laughs> so, there you go. You know, that, that, that's going to give you a picture of who you're dealing with. You know, is there, is there a scattering of, 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 of other things? What matters more to them in higher purpose? Everybody has core values, and some of those are very high ideal values. Finding out uh, how they feel about loyalty finding out how they feel about family. The small talk, which gives you an indicator of what their core values are, what are their higher purposes in life, that's going to give you a much better feel for whether or not the deal is going to go through. And you talk about mirroring. Um, I loved that as well. Can you describe what how you see mirroring falling into this too? Yeah, the hostage negotiator's mirror, the black swan mirror, is not the body language mirror, not body language in any way, shape, or form. It's just repeating the last one to three words of what somebody has said. You know, it could be one word that's really not more than five. And it's the simplest yet almost elegant way to get somebody to continue to talk. And it helps people connect their thoughts and it makes them feel listened to and it makes them want to expand and explore the idea And mirroring is such a simple thing that the people that really like elegance in their negotiation and simplicity love love mirrors. They just love mirrors. So give me an example of a mirroring. Give me an example? Yeah. That was a mirror. There you go. Now, you gave me just simply a one-word answer, but... It didn't, you know, I gave you some silence and an opportunity to see if you're going to expand on it or simply it was just giving me a straight confirmation. Uh-huh. And if I started mirroring you, the first time or two I mirrored you, you may or may not find it awkward. But then the other thing I did after I mirrored and we were both silenced, I didn't jump in immediately and interrupt the conversation, go running off in another direction. You sometimes may need me to do that several times to know that when I speak, it's not to hijack the conversation. When I speak, it's to hear you better. And each and every time I do that, you're going to like it more and you're going to open up a little bit more because all of your previous conditioning is really in being interrupted by somebody who's not listening. Interesting. So I'm curious, did you find that men and women negotiated differently? It's not quite a, a smooth, clean answer, but, but I'll take a crack at it. Um, emotionally intelligence-based negotiation, which is more effective than any other kind to begin with. The black swan method doesn't work all the time. It just works more than anything else does. And it's high EQ-based. Women generally pick it up faster than men. 
because they got a head start on soft skills training from a very young age. Adult women realize that a ch- a female children need schooling on soft skills because whether or not they're equal to or physically superior to the little boys, along about somewhere in the mid to late teens, the little boys are going to be bigger than the little girls, and the little girls are going to need soft skills. And so they generally have a head start globally based on nurturing. Now, at the high end, it's gender agnostic. Men or women are both equally capable of being ridiculously good at emotional intelligence. The capacity for either is no different. Women have a tendency to pick it up faster than men do as a general rule simply because they've probably been getting schooled on it indirectly since they were at a very young age. So you're you're in a negotiation with somebody and uh, you can't meet face to face because they're in another country. Um, they're you know, you're in a pandemic. Uh, they don't want to meet with you. What do you suggest to people? I mean, is it uh, get on a Zoom with them? Just do a phone call? I mean, is there any sort of negotiation tactics that you have for that kind of situation where the person doesn't really want to uh, see you or, you know, you want to negotiate more than they do or whatever it is. Uh, I'm so curious what you would say to that. Yeah, well, two things. Don't uh, do it all via one medium and don't do it all at once. Okay. And t- people have a tendency to try to pull off everything at once. Like text messages are, are great as long as it's not the only thing that you do and that you don't put everything in the same text. And look at everything as complimentary. And people will come on a Zoom with you if you're not wasting their time. Uh-huh. How do you condition them that you're not wasting their time? Brief emails, brief text messages. Demonstrating an awareness and understanding of where the other side's coming from. And you use each one in a complimentary fashion. You can be very effective. It, it, it'd be wonderful to get together in person. But as you said, based on time, circumstances, there can be any number of reasons why it's hard to get a Zoom. Like I deal with people in the United Arab Emirates to buy in Abu Dhabi on a regular basis. We're on the other side of the clock. So we supplement it with brief texts, brief emails, demonstrate understanding and appreciation for them as much as possible, develop a sense for, based on a communication, when we're on the wrong track when there's a problem. You know, who's going to go dead silent when there's a problem? All right, so they've gone dead silent. There's a problem. Now what do I got to guess the problem is? The other side is very appreciative of that, which I started taking emotionally intelligent, educated guesses. So use all, all the mediums in a complimentary fashion and focus on letting the other side know you know where they're coming from. So... I talked about your book, Never Split the Difference. Everyone needs to grab a copy of this. Uh, You actually have an audible version as well, um, which is uh, quite good. And then the Black Swan Group. I'd love to hear more about your uh, group and how people can get a hold of you and what what types of programs are you offering? Yeah, we are are one-stop shopping wherever you are for negotiations whether you're a beginner, whether you're highly advanced. Um, So we put a lot of free stuff out there. The Black Swan uh, website is blackswanltd.com. One of the first things people do in order to move themselves forward is subscribe to our weekly newsletter because it's complimentary and it's concise. And the fact that it's concise is probably more valuable than it being complimentary. It's terrific, by the way. So it's, Thank you it's really, really, really great. Yeah, it's great. And we make it usable too, right? Digestible, usable, actionable. You know, I come, I learned my teaching days started with teaching police officers and they are a practical group. If you don't bring usable stuff to them, they are not interested in theoretical, mystical, academic stuff. They want stuff they can use. And all of our stuff is usable. So we could coach you, we could train you, we can do it live, we can do it in person, we can do it over the phone. We have in-person events, which you really need a good foundation 
of the many free things that we put out there before you come to an in-person event. We're going to want you to have read the book. Uh-huh. Probably subscribe to the newsletter. We have links on our website to the masterclass. The masterclass is put out, which is extremely useful, usable, digestible, and beneficial. A lot of people love the masterclass. The masterclass is a very cheap product. I'm shocked at how low for what you get based on what you pay. It's incredible. So wherever you are in the negotiation journey, if you like innovative stuff, if you're ambitious, if you want to get better, and you know that you need somebody to help you get better, then then we'll help you forward in your journey. That's terrific. Well, we'll have it all in the show notes as well. But thank you so much, Chris. I really enjoyed this. Lots of good nuggets here for everyone to take away and obviously uh, go to Black Swan website uh, and check out more. And uh, thank you so much, Chris. Ah, uh, pleasure was mine. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023 and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head-on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.